Hello, I'm Peter Laws, and this is a sermon-only episode of the Creepy Cove Community Church podcast. If you'd like to hear the full church service, complete with strange comedy, special guests, and notices like you've never heard before, then all the shows are available for free. Just visit creepycove.com to find out more. But if you just want to hear a sermon, a time of quiet reflection, and a song, then this is for you. I'd be grateful if you could check out patreon.com forward slash creepycove to find out how you can support the show and get lots of exclusive member benefits. But for now, I'll shut up. Here's your sermon. Thanks. Come along, Peter. Hello, everyone. Thank you. And thank you to Rupert and also to Annabelle for reading to us before. I once saw this guy on a bridge about to jump. And so I said, don't do it. And he turned and said, but nobody loves me. And I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And he said, yes. I said, hey, me too. So I said, are you Christian or are you Jewish or are you Muslim? And he said, I'm a Christian. And I said, hey, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? And he said, I'm Protestant. And I said, hey, me too. I said, what Protestant franchise are you from? Are you Anglican, Brethren, Baptist, Pentecostal? He said, Baptist. And I said, oh, me too. But are you Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? And he said, I'm Northern Baptist. And I said, whoa, me too. And I smiled and I said, are you Northern Conservative Baptist or are you Northern Liberal Baptist? And he said, I'm Northern Liberal Baptist. And I went, whoa, me too. But are you Northern Liberal Baptist County Durham region or are you Northern Liberal Baptist Yorkshire region? And he said, I'm Northern Liberal Baptist County Durham region. And I said, whoa, me too. And so I asked him, well, are you Northern Liberal Baptist County Durham Region Council of 1879? Or are you Northern Liberal Baptist County Durham Region Council of 1912? And he said, oh, I'm Northern Liberal Baptist County Durham Region Council of 1912. And so I said, die, you heretic. And I pushed him over the bridge. Now, just in case you haven't worked it out yet, uh, that didn't really happen. It's just a joke by the comedian Emo Phillips. But I do think it makes an incredibly good point that we are obsessed with categorizing people, particularly into friend and non-friend. The friends are those we like, those who tick the boxes, those who are our types of people. Um, couples do this especially. They'll say like, oh, let's get to know them better. Let's invite that couple around for dinner tonight, darling, because they're our type of people. So we have those types of people in our life. But then we have this other group who may be not our type of people. Maybe they think very differently to us. Maybe they have a completely different view of the world, one that even we might find offensive Or perhaps it's a different division. It's uh, somebody who has let us down somehow or someone who has hurt us, perhaps even deeply, someone we struggle to forgive. Well, we might not use the word very often, but technically we might find that there are people that we will tend to slot into the file marked enemy. And it can seem right and proper to do this, uh, especially if what they have done is bad. We might even call those people more than our enemy. We might think of them as our nemesis. I wonder, do you have a nemesis or at least an enemy? Someone coming to your mind right now when I say, who is your enemy? Pick. Does a face come to mind straight away? Maybe it's a bunch of faces. Well, in a world of annoying and even downright horrible people, it does make sense to 
want to hate our enemies or just to naturally despise them. It feels like the, the right thing to do, which makes it all the more weird, bizarre and shocking when Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount, which we've just had read to us by Annabelle. And in verse 43, he whips this out. He says, you may have been told to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And it's like, huh? <laughs> like, you want me to love my enemy? This nemesis that comes to mind, you want me to have an attitude of love, kindness and forgiveness even to these people? Are you kidding? I mean, who are your enemies? If you could just stand up and point at them right now, it could be very helpful. No, just kidding. Don't actually do that. But um, you might actually, to be honest, some of you might even struggle to think of yourself as having an enemy. You might think, oh, this doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm a very, very friendly chap. And uh, you might feel that it doesn't apply to you at all. But listen, right? All of us, every single one of us, including you listening to me now, you have the potential to gain an enemy even this week. What if someone starts picking on you at school or work or college? What if you get burgled in three days' time? What if a person hurts someone you love? What if someone is deliberately cruel to you or betrays you? So yeah, don't assume that this only applies to you if you have an enemy. We all have the potential to meet a new enemy every single day. Well, for the people back in Jesus' time when he was talking, this is like 2,000 years ago, the enemy would have been the Romans who were ruling over the Jewish people at the time. And so for Jesus to say love them sounded crazy. And this teaching lost him a lot of fans. And we might agree and assume that this love your enemies idea is just way too left field, wacky, or even naive or simply unrealistic so that we should just ignore it. But tonight and next time, we're going to take a deep dive into this idea of loving our enemies. And I think you will find that even though doing it is incredibly hard, it's not quite as difficult as we might think. And also that loving our enemies may actually may make a bunch more sense than we might think. So let's get started with this. And um, remember, as ever, uh, Creepy Cove is a place for people, whether they're spiritual or not. So if you're into spirituality, God, the Bible and all that sort of stuff, then yes, of course, you know, connect with it on that level. But don't think it means that this is not relevant to you if you're not into that. If you're not into that, fine, you're very welcome. You belong here. Um, but, uh, you know, you might want to interpret these things in the way that that works for you. But this is something that I think is really helpful for all of us. So let's get started. Something that we need to understand at the start of this journey, which is this. Loving your enemies is about practicality, not about emotion. Loving your enemies seems impossible. And I think one of the reasons why we find this concept so difficult is because of linguistics. We can misunderstand what Jesus means by this word love. We often think of the word love purely in terms of emotion. That love is, is what? Like a feeling of intense affection towards somebody. For example, I, I like Rupert, our church administrator, but I love my wife. Glad I didn't get that around the wrong way. Like, there's a difference in the levels of feeling. Um, I like other people's kids. Well, not really. 
well, they're all right, I guess, but you know, they're all right. But I love my kids. There is a difference between those two things. And how do I define it as love? It's because when I think of my kids or my wife, there is like an, a, a rush of affection, emotional affection towards them. And it's based on real stuff, connection, history, genetics, familiarity. And I don't just love them practically, I love them emotionally. So that's what love is to so many of us. It's like this rush of feeling and affection. And we feel like that's what differentiates a sense of liking someone to loving someone. But the thing is, that emotional response, as nice as it is, is not the prime focus of love. It is just a byproduct of love. Because real love ultimately is about action more than it's about pure emotion. An example, a man can sit with his wife over a really romantic meal, you know, like dining for 10 pounds for Marks and Spencer. It's like a really special night, anniversary or something. And he can say, even with tears in his eyes, I love you so much, darling. And he can feel the rush of warmth and goodwill towards this woman who he has been married to for decades. He believes it. She believes it. And yet, at the exact same time, he could be having an affair with a work colleague. Well, obviously, actually, I don't mean the exact same time, like when they were eating dinner, that would be kind of obvious. But you know what I mean? Sometimes some husbands or wives can betray their partner with somebody else. And it's not because they hate their partner. They actually may feel genuine, emotional affection and love towards their partner. But they can feel that towards another person at the same time. See what I'm saying? That's the problem. Or maybe to three people, four people at the same time. And unless they've agreed an open relationship, most partners are not up for having their husbands going with someone else behind their back. What's my point? My point is that the man in this scenario feels the love, but he's not loving his wife in a way that truly counts in practice with action. Think back to your old school days, you know, learning the nuts and bolts of the English language. What was a noun? Well, a noun is a describing word like piano, paper, glass, axe, microphone, chainsaw. Nouns describe things. Well, love is not a noun. Love isn't a thing. It's a verb. Like walking or singing or jumping or climbing. It's a doing word. It's an action. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, I don't think he's focusing on the emotion of love. Is there anyone in your life who you would class as an enemy or at least someone you feel you could forgive, someone who's hurt you or someone you would struggle to forgive? Well, if love is not primarily hinged on emotion, it means that you loving that person and showing forgiveness towards them does not mean being filled with affection towards them. I think this is really important because we might think when, when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's saying basically, hey, you know that guy who burgled your house last week? Take him out bowling. You know, become really great friends to the people who treat you like crap. No wonder many of us refuse to forgive and refuse to love enemies because that is unrealistic and undesirable in so many different ways. But no, if love or forgiveness isn't primarily about emotion, then we don't have to wait to like the people or wait to feel an emotional bond towards them before we love them in a practical way. Because love isn't about the emotional bond primarily, 
it's a little more profound and action-based than that. You see, loving your enemies and forgiving them doesn't mean acting as if what they did didn't matter. I think this is a huge stumbling block for many of us. We seem to think that forgiving another person is basically saying what they did is no big deal. Absolutely not. Forgiving another person is often not even about them. Sometimes forgiving another person is setting us free from being hooked to the people who have hurt us through bitterness. Imagine that couple again. You know, the man is uh, the, the man who gets discovered having the affair. Let's say he did do it at the table with his wife right there and then. He was very blatant about it. So she obviously found out and she's humiliated and um, he dumps her. And he demands a divorce. And this poor wife who has been with him for decades and decades is now feeling hollowed out and stamped on, especially when she finds out that there have been multiple affairs through the whole marriage. It's heartbreaking, but it's real. This happens to people. And understandably, once this guy is out of her life, he's not actually out of her life because she's grabbing the photographs of the family and, he's, and she's snipping him out. And every day she's waking up and thinking about how much she hates him and despises him. This makes total sense. And it is very normal to feel like that. But all I'm asking you is this. Who is that hurting? Who is the bitterness and unforgiveness destroying? Is it the husband? Who probably, as she wakes up, this wife wakes up in bitterness and anger. The husband is with one of his girlfriends in the Caribbean, walking down the sand... Does he suddenly feel the venom come from his wife? Is he like, oh no, my wife is hating me again. It's stopping me being able to enjoy my life because I can feel the venomous rays. No, he's probably passing beach balls to his girlfriend and knocking back rum. He didn't care less. The point I'm making is the unforgiveness, the hate of that person. It makes absolute sense and you can understand it. And the guy doesn't deserve to be forgiven in so many different ways. That's not the point. But the bitterness isn't poisoning him. It's poisoning her. It's wounding her day by day. When I say who is your enemy, for some of you, a face instantly comes to mind. And maybe it's a person who you despise. And maybe you've got good reason. But you might not realize that the bitterness that you have towards those people, it's hooking you to them. And so to do the loving act of forgiving them isn't to say what they did is fine. It's to say, I don't want to be hooked to these people anymore. Someone once put it this way. I thought this is very profound. It said, uh, it was a quotation. I don't know whoever said it, but it stuck with me. When we forgive someone, it's like setting a prisoner free. But then we realize the prisoner was us. So yeah, forgiving or loving others does not belittle the crime, as it were. Not at all. Jesus, when he's on the cross, right? He says, Father, forgive them when he's on the cross, right? He's being nailed to the cross through his wrists and his feet. Do you think him saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing? Do you think that he's basically saying, ah, it's not a big deal. I'm forgiving them because this isn't a big deal. No, the point is it's a huge, massive deal and his forgiveness is so amazing and, and, and profound that he should do it. It's not that he doesn't, he's not bothered, but that he, his love in that moment creates a new thing. Whereas hate poisons things and destroys things. You know, equally, loving your enemy doesn't mean forgetting the consequences of the bad things those people have done. If somebody blew up my family with a bomb, 
My loving that enemy doesn't mean me somehow dropping the charges. In my work as a pastor, I've met some women, for example, who were hit, punched and kicked by their husbands. I remember one time one wife uh, had to be, well, we kind of had to smuggle her out of her home and I had to drive her to a secret handover location, to a woman's refuge. So horrible was the man she had married. And some people think that to love your enemy and to forgive them means to, um, to put up with that sort of stuff. No, absolutely not. It is entirely consistent to love and forgive and report to the police all at the same time. Loving our enemies does not mean dropping consequences. King David in the Bible had an affair, he had man killed. He faced consequences for that. God gave him a second chance, but he didn't just brush David's crimes under the carpet and act like it never happened. So when Jesus says, love your enemy, he's not saying let's do away with law and order and justice, but he is wanting to point us to a way to liberate us from the cycle of hate and the wounds of others the dead end nature of a lack of love. So he says, love them, but how? How are we supposed to do that, you know? Well, I think we ought to be generous to our en enemies, if we can, in practical ways, even though emotionally we might despise them. For example, in verse 44, he says, pray for them. You know, if you're a spiritual type, that's a thing you can do. Uh, you know, you can pray that they don't hurt anyone else like they hurt you, but also even to pray for them to be rehabilitated, for them to, um, for their betterment to be, even be blessed. That is not easy. Does anyone ever do your head in? If they do, I'm trying a new policy, right? The second anyone does my head in, they shoot to the top of my prayer list. So <laughs> if you want to guarantee that I'll pray for you, you know, just uh, come and punch me in the mouth and I'll pray for you every day for a week. But no, seriously, I find what happens is when I do this thing, prayer for, for an enemy, someone who hurts has hurt me, I find it amazing how quick my heart starts to soften towards them. It's just something that happens. They become less of a caricature baddie. And my connection with them stops feeling so toxic. But hey, that's just a thing that I do. Maybe that's not for you, but uh, try it. But then in verse 47, he says that we greet people as a sign of love. We don't avoid them completely. Have you ever done that at family parties, a wedding or something? And you're like, oh no, Uncle Billy's here. I'm staying here by the buffet car. There's no way I'm sitting where he is. In fact, I'm not even going. No, we don't have to be best mates with Uncle Billy again. But there is something powerful about being willing to acknowledge the person, or at least just be in the same room as them. You know, a public room with lots of other people. For some of us, it wouldn't be wise to be with someone who's hurt us alone. I get that. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, like Uncle Billy ultimately is stopping you enjoying the wedding. <laughs> Tiny things like that can mean that willingness to say, I'm just going to treat the guy, I'm just going to say hello and just get on with it, can mean that we don't have our lives ruined. So yeah, we don't have to feel affection for them. We don't have to act as if nothing's happened. And if there's some sort of crime involved, we don't have to not report them to the police or, you know, see justice done. But uh, we try to show practical charity towards a person by acknowledging that they exist, maybe even trying to understand why they would have been like they were, what wounds in them caused them to wound us. Put it this way, Jesus in Mark 12, 
30 to 31 says this. It's interesting. He says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You've heard this before, haven't you? Whether you're a church person or not, love your neighbor as yourself. It sounds like great advice. But ask yourself this. How do you express love towards yourself? Like, do you gaze at yourself in the mirror all day thinking, wow, there's just something about you. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about you. You know, are you filled with fluffy emotional love towards your own reflection? Um, mostly no. Do get me wrong. There might be occasions where you spot yourself and you think, how are you doing, right? And that's great. And that's wonderful. And it's great if you've got that sense of confidence towards yourself. But on the whole, you don't express love towards yourself in those ways. You do it in practical action. I meet people sometimes who say they don't love themselves. And my heart breaks for them because I know, I, I know that that feels real to them. But what they probably mean is that they have no affection for themselves or they're being unforgiving towards themselves. They've made themselves the enemy. But they love themselves with practical action every day in the sense that they, they make sure they have food and clothes. They cross the street at the right time so as not to get run over. That's how we express love towards ourselves, mostly practically, not so much emotionally. And therefore, if that is how we are to love other people, even if they are our enemies, it means you don't have to brew up affectionate, buzzing feelings towards them. You just try and see them as a human being, perhaps wounded themselves, like I said. It's not easy, but it's not as impossible as it might seem at first. Now, if you're thinking, this is foolish and stupid. Well, what's the alternative? To hate our enemies? To seek to destroy them? To spend each day spending all of our energies on despising them, to allow them to rule our life? For example, how much energy do you spend going online or on social media getting offended at the enemies out there, the people who aren't in your tribe, and challenging them or just quietly being annoyed by them? Don't get me wrong, we should stand up for the right thing. But when we let ourselves be ruled or defined by our anger towards another person, it will detract from our lives, not theirs. The other night, um, one of my kids was watching some of the early Star Wars films, and Yoda did his classic line, Fear is the path to... <laughs> I, I, won't do the, I won't do the impression, that just ruins the mood. I'll just say it. He says, um, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. And the suffering is often for us, not for them. But instead, we keep on hating, and the chain of destroying our enemies carries on and on and on. Just imagine if the world embraced love and forgiveness tomorrow. All wars would cease. People would treat each other with respect and disagree without feeling the need to destroy one another. You might say, well, that's never going to happen. Well, who knows, maybe not. But it can happen in your life. It can happen in your situation. You can make tentative steps towards stopping the chain of bitterness and a step towards setting a prisoner free through love and forgiveness. And you may find yourself surprisingly lighter when you discover that there was more than one prisoner to set free. There was you. This can take a lifetime by the way, particularly if the crime against you was really bad. But taking that step in the direction of forgiveness 
And love is not a sign of weakness. I believe it is a sign of profound strength. And it sounds counterintuitive, but there's a power in it. And to give you just a taste of the power of this, to help you get a sense of that, we're going to move into our time of meditation, which is going to be a little bit different this week because I'm going to share a reading from a woman called Corrie Ten Boom, which uh, she shared this story in 1972. And it's just like a very famous example of loving enemies. During World War II, Corrie was arrested for hiding Dutch Jews from the Nazis. And so she faced the horrors of the concentration camp including the death of her beloved sister. And somehow she even found a faith in God in the midst of that suffering. And it sustained her and helped her. But anyway, years later, she was sharing her faith um, by speaking at a church. And she recounts a moment where after speaking, she was faced with an enemy. And this is what she said. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room, where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favourite mental picture, maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence in silence, collected their wraps, in silence, left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard of Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. 
I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I have ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed the bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much, but you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. <laughs> I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned after 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. And so with that reading in our minds, just picture yourself in an old church with a crowd of people who have heard you speak from the front. They are leaving, but one person emerges. And I want you to imagine that person as whoever you would class as an enemy. Maybe there's a few of them. Maybe there's just one. And they have their hand out to shake. I'm not going to say you have to shake it. I'm not going to say you have to do anything. I'm just going to leave you with that image for a moment. I'm going to ask you, what do you see yourself doing? God, some of us believe you're there, some of us totally don't believe it. But all of us, no matter what we believe, share something that we know is real, that we have been hurt by others in our life. 
some of us deeply. Thank you that when you ask us to love our enemies, it doesn't mean throwing away law and justice. It doesn't mean saying what they did was okay. It doesn't mean that we have to be best of friends with those who've hurt us. That could be impossible. But if you genuinely think this would help us, would you please open our minds to this? We know our hearts might be closed and we may not feel any positivity towards these people. That's understandable. But could you shift something in our mind or in our will so that we will no longer be poisoned by the hate of them? Set them free as we forgive, but as we do, help us to feel that liberation of finally being free ourselves. Amen. Well, we're going to be continuing our look at this idea of loving our enemies next time. But for now, it's my pleasure to invite a special guest who's going to sing to us. Nathaniel Orr is going to sing his song, which is called Have It Your Way. You do not play by the rules At least not mine anyway It's gotta be It's probably best that way Once again you make no sense Saying things like Get used to different Okay, fine Oh, never mind Have it your way I want to be flying high A light of my own To shine But I've no wings of my own Seems to me that I've got room to grow So have it your way We'll take our time One follows on the other leads So when will you take a turn? not meant to be that way that way Take our time. Oh. 
Just so you know The way this song goes There's no plot twist at the end Just a struggle between friends About who's winning and who So have it your way We'll take our time That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Nathaniel Orr. Well, thanks for coming, everyone, to Creepy Cove Community Church. We look forward to seeing you next time. We'll drive into a little bit more of the Love Your Enemies action. Well, thank you for listening to this sermon-only edition of Creepy Cove Community Church podcast. You can find more sermons, but also full services as well if you wanted to check out creepycove.com. Remember, support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash creepycove or visit creepycove.com and sign up to the Peter Laws newsletter so you can stay in the loop. Have a great week. Take care.